that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now, not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. And that's why, and I'm going to be real blunt, some people are fed up with Christianity. Some people have been hurt, disappointed, let down by people claiming to be Christian. And I don't doubt it. I've let plenty of people down. I've hurt people. Some people are fed up with Christianity because they go from church to church and they see no consistency, no focus. One church has this emphasis, another church has that emphasis. And and it's, it's not Christianity, it's churchianity. It's based on what the flavor of the month is. Really, not everybody that claims to be a Christian is a Christian. Bible-believing churches that once were growing and thriving are drying up. What used to be a force in the world for morality that was that was that, that should be reckoned with is now rare and becoming even rarer. And it's what what the truth is is that there are three things that are happening to Christianity and three things that are affecting Christianity. You're watching? Number one, there is a DIY theology, a do-it-yourself kind of theology where people and even entire churches don't believe the Bible anymore. They believe in dreams, visions, feelings, and what's popular today. That's what they believe. Oh, we don't believe in hell anymore. Oh, we don't believe that the Bible is the only source of 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 revealed truth from God anymore. Oh, we don't believe this. Oh, we now believe that. That's do-it-yourself theology, and it is destroying churches and not helping anybody. Second thing that is affecting churches is an entertainment value over worship. People will go to a church, and they'll say the value of the church is in how well they've been entertained, how well the pastor speaks, how good his voice is. Um... Uh, you know, people, churches become man-centered instead of God-centered. It's entertainment. And there's a third reason why churches are dying and why churches are not what they should be, and that's because there's very little love for one another. That's the truth. Now, this has been the focus all this month, loving the brethren. And, And really... We know we're supposed to love one another. I know I'm supposed to love you, uh, Marianne. I know I'm supposed to. But we don't do it very well. If we'd be honest, we don't show up for church very often. Sunday morning, it's a great crowd here. Sunday night, not even half. And we don't even show up for church on time. How can we say we love one another? Hmm. We don't pray together like we should. We don't care about what each other's going through. We're more worried about the kingdoms of this world, especially the United, United Kingdom. We're more worried. I, uh, there are a lot of jokes about that. Uh, we're more worried about economies. We're more worried about footballs than we are about the kingdom of God and the family of God. So one more time, this has been our focus the whole month. Let's focus on what we should be doing with the brethren. Father, I pray as we bow our heads this morning, I pray that we would hear and heed what you say, and that you would begin to change our hearts. I can't change people's minds, but you can. It's going to begin in the hearts. It's going to begin where we realize 
This is something we've got to do. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. What we need is a good dose of, of broken spirits and contrite hearts about how stubborn we've been and how aloof we are and how full of ourselves we are instead of a concern and a love for others. I pray that you would humble us this morning and help us. I pray there'd be plenty of people in this room who'd examine their own hearts and see are they really in the faith? Are they just living a lie, playing the part? Their heart's never been changed. They prefer everything and everyone else besides being right here. I pray that somebody's heart would be gripped and convicted and saved this morning. I pray all of us would be different about how we treat one another, how we love one another. Because of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I start to work on the background of this thing, I'm going to use a phrase that is a Bible phrase. It's called the brethren. It is a description of Christians. Matthew now, still in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. Matthew 12, 46. When I say the brethren, we're talking about a description of Christians. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his literal physical mother... And his literal physical brethren, his own half-brothers and sisters, stood without, stood outside the house, desiring to speak with him. They had an urgent issue. They had to talk, family talk. Then said unto him, now he's in a house packed with people. There was no room to get near him. Then word got to Jesus, and someone said to him, Behold, Jesus, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak unto thee. And he answered, watch what Jesus' response is. And he said unto him that told him such, Who is my mother? And who are my, what's the next word? Who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. Now, Jesus describes Christians, this family, he calls them his Brethren, he calls us the brethren. It's, it's how he describes us. That's a special kind of family. We, we share more than physical genes and characteristics. Okay? I've got five children, six grandchildren, and they all have genetic similarities, and uh, uh, they all have characteristics um, from, from family that's been passed on to them. But believers don't have genes that are the same. We, don't, we barely look you know, similar at all, other than the fact that we have one nose, two ears, and two eyes, and two, three chins, and you know how it is. We, 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 you know, what are our characteristics other than we're human? No, as a Christian, we have the same Heavenly Father. We have the same faith. Our faith is in Jesus Christ, not in the church, not in our baptism, not in, not in our good works. We have the same faith, which is in Jesus Christ. We have the same experience. Every believer in this room can point to a day and an hour, a place, and say, that's where I was, I was convicted. That's where I was broken. That was where I was shown just how lost I was. And I looked to God, and I cried out, and he saved me. We all have that same thing. If you didn't have that experience, you're trusting in a feeling. You're trusting in a, 
a, a, a baptism, you're trusting in what some man told you. You need to know what God said and believe it and know that from that moment on, you were born again. Everybody had the same experience. That's called the new birth. You know, we're, we're born again. We're no longer Jew or Gentile, but sinners, forgiven, washed, made, made accepted in God's family and the beloved. Now, <clears throat> this phrase is very common. Go to Acts chapter 11, just show you a few of the times this phrase pops up throughout the New Testament. Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 and verse 29. Acts eleven twenty-nine. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto, what are the next two words? The brethren which dwelt in Judea. They took up an offering. They says, we got to help. Those Christians down in Judea, because there was a great famine happening, and there's a lot of persecution, he says, let's take up an offering and send it to the brethren. Let's look at another one, chapter 15 and verse 40. And I'm skipping several of them to just deal with the ones that are salient, ones that are just most prominent. Acts 15 and verse 40. <clears throat> Acts 15, 40. And Paul chose Silas and departed in being recommended by the... That's the church. Being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. They were, they were commissioned and sent off and blessed by the church. Uh, chapter 21. 21 and verse 17. Paul, Luke, says these things. And when we were come to Jerusalem, there it is, the brethren received us gladly. The brethren, the brethren, the brethren. It seems to have been a, a, a title, a description that people loved. It was something they, they, they didn't look for highfalutin doctor, monsignor, you know, his eminence. No, what they call each other? Brethren. How you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Keep going to the right. Find 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 20. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. All the brethren greet, greet you. Greet you one another with a holy kiss. All the brethren greet you. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And verse 9. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians eleven nine. 9. When I was present with you and wanted, I lacked, I needed, I was chargeable to no man. I didn't come along and ask anybody for anything. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren, which came from Macedonia, supplied. And in all things, I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. But the brethren took care of my needs. One more, Colossians chapter 4, still to the right. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 15. Colossians 4, 15. <clears throat> Salute who? 
which are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house. See, this thing called the brethren was not a fancy title, but a simple and powerful way to describe Christians as family. Now, we take it seriously. Go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. We just don't, you know, uh, call ourselves brethren because it's sort of cultural. I mean, I, I, I come from a country where everybody goes, hey, bro. <laughs> you know, hey, bro. And it's culture in some places, you know, but we're not, we're not dealing with culture here. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 8. Matthew 23, 8. <clears throat> but be not ye called rabbi. That's a fancy word for doctor or fancy teacher. Be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are what? That's all we are. That's all we are. Do you realize how many religions there are out there? Do you ever think about how many religious leaders there are that try to get you to follow them? Well, Jesus offers himself as the one focus of our life. You have one master, and you're all what? Brethren. You have one authority, one example to follow, one way to God, and that's all Jesus needs to be. He is everything to me. That makes it so simple, isn't it? I just want to be like him. There's some of you that are better Christians than I'll ever be. But I don't strive to be like you. I may learn from you, but I strive to be like Jesus. I have one master. What does that make us? Brethren. There's no hierarchy. No no 33 degrees of masonry. No bishops, canons, archbishops. No gurus. Amen. You know, Jesus looked out in the future and he looked out at his disciples and, and out of all those millions of people who would follow him, he called them all brethren. Just brethren. That means Peter was not higher up in God's workings and God's kingdom than Thomas was. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, the apostle John was closer to Jesus than Peter was. And, and really, when you read about Peter, he's talking about I, I, I all the time. John never talks in the first person. He always talks about himself in the third person. He says, that disciple whom Jesus loved. He, he, he didn't think of himself as super high up. When Paul talks about himself, he says, yes, I'm an apostle, but I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that, 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 that there's not this hierarchy in there. We take it seriously that Jesus says, I'm in charge, and you're nothing but brethren. Uh, now there are Christians that are more mature than others and there are pastors and teachers and evangelists and church starters but we're all brethren we're all family that keeps us humble now what most people think about the brethren is kind of important alright there are many religious leaders out there that see Christians as people to fleece that man right up there has made 40 million dollars off of Christians. Writes books, some of the most heretical books ever written. The whole purpose of the gospel is make you happy. It is not. The whole purpose of the gospel is make you holy. But yet people buy it up. You know what he is? He's a fleecer. He takes advantage of people's pockets. Some people out there, most church growers, uh, uh, there are many religious leaders fleece the brethren. Most church goers ignore the brethren. 
They come basically for themselves. They don't know the name of the person sitting next to them on the right or the left, even though they're married to them for 27 years. They come to church to see what they can get from God. That's what they come for. Others come to church, and people, when they think of the brethren, they think of people who judge one another and find fault and fight with each other. They see all the warts. You ever been around somebody who, who notices something wrong about you? And they can't, they can't look at your eye because they see some flaw. They only see the immaturity among believers and the failures. You know, if everybody knew everything about you, they wouldn't want to be around you. You know what I like? Knowing nothing. <laughs> Honestly, man, I don't need to know all of your history. Nobody does. He does, and he forgave you. Amen? So when people are going around, and you know, people think Christians are just full of, of judgmental attitudes and fault finding, and there are plenty of them. But that's not that's what Christianity is. We're family. You know, it's more important to have grace with one another when we have faults. The world outside can slander, persecute, and kill us. It ought not to happen among ourselves. Amen? Now, what does God say are our responsibility toward each other? Now, we've been looking at this all this month, but uh, let's look at it one more time. Number one, we're told to love one another. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's see if we can make this as practical as possible. So this is point number one, and it's the only point in the message. Everything else is going to support this one goal. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Right after Hebrews comes James and then 1 Peter 1, 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls, not in doing good works, but just in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love, unfaked, real love of the brethren. Look at that. Unto, this is the goal, unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart. How? Fervently. What we're talking about is not a passive kind of love with just words. I love you. Yeah, love you, youngin. Have a nice trip. Bye-bye. You know, youngin and his sister are leaving on the 6th. They're going back to Korea. It's wrong. It's, it's not right. It's terrible. I'm going to miss him. But words only don't show real love, do they? We're supposed, to, we're supposed to love our families. We're supposed to love our neighbors. We're supposed to love even our enemies. But did you know it's easy to love somebody you don't have to live with? How you, George? Nice day. I'm glad I'm your neighbor. I can lock my door. <laughs> it's easy to be nice to somebody you don't have to live with. It's a lot harder to love somebody you got to see every week and every day. Well, yeah, we're not talking about wives and husbands. Okay, no. <laughs> You know, you chose to love her. You got to stay in love. But you know, you don't choose. All of a sudden, I can I can choose to love Dermot, and I can choose not to love Paul. You can't do that. When we're in the family, you remember when you were growing up and you you had brothers and sisters. They were family. You couldn't choose. Well, I'm going to love so and so and not love so and so. Jesus said, "You're a brethren, and you love one another." And uh, it is hard to love somebody you got to stick with. God said, Jesus said to Peter, now Peter loved Thomas. 
Thomas is all, oh, he's complaining. Thomas loved Peter. Peter is so domineering. Peter is just, he, he takes us the wrong direction. Jesus said, love one another. We're to love each other. Ephesians chapter 4. Go back to the left. Ephesians chapter 4. To love one another means to go out of your way. Hey, are you watching me? You listening? Go out of your way to control your tongue. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication. Corrupt communication includes a lot of things. Filthy words. Um, uh, words that, that tear people down, gossiping words, tail-bearing words, anything that destroys or hurts. Verse 29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. I don't care what you're thinking, don't say it, is what Paul's saying. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. How do you love one another? Say good things. Use words to build up the believers. Never tear them down. I will miss you. I'm not glad you're going. I'll hate you for going, but then I'll get over it and I'll miss you. He's been around a long time. Now you know I'm joking with him. He's been around. Man, you were, you were just a kid when you first showed up. You were just out of nappies when you came through that door years ago, man. Go out of your way to think about what you say to one another. All right? Now you can talk to the dog any way you want. You can talk to the cat any way you want. But you cannot talk to one another. Like you want to. You need to make time for each other and for this church. So Sunday night. Yeah, Sunday night belongs to the Lord. Make it for each other. That means to shut your mouth when you want to say something. And you should just smile and wave. Amen. That means you need to, to love one another. That means to learn about people's lives and what they think. You, you, you and I, we're, we're very prone to just tell people what we think. I'll tell you about Britain. I'll tell you what's going to happen. Why don't you just shut up and let somebody else talk? That's showing love. Amen. And then adapt. Now, I'll give you an example. Adapt to your culture. This is a terrible thing I have to admit to. Years ago, before I came to Ireland, I went to a church out in West Texas. And I mean West Texas. Yeehaw. Everybody wore boots and spurs and chaps and had horses. Literally, they had horses. And this church... Grace and Truth Baptist Church was the name of the church. They're out in the middle of nowhere, man. And had 150 people there, and 70 of them were, were kids for a Bible club. I was there preaching that Bible club, running the Bible club for the week. And I got up there, and I sang a song. You ready? I taught the kids a song. I may never, anybody know this? March in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never zoom over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. And I taught those kids that song, and oh, they were so excited. Oh, it was great. The moms and the dads all around in the back were sitting there. Oh, this is a great song. And I said, how about the Texas version? And when I was in Bible college, somebody came up with this second verse. The second verse is, it goes this way. I may never step on a rattlesnake. Yow! Watch it. Shoot at the Indians. Pow! Ride on a jersey. Cow! 
but I'm in the Lord's army. Yeehaw! And I says, come on, everybody. Yeehaw! And half the kids were like this. <laughs> Do you know what? Because they were Indian. <laughs> yeah! Shoot at the Indians. <laughs> you understand? I needed to adapt. <laughs> oh, come on, everybody sing, amen. Follow the leader. How could I say I love those kids? How could I say I love those those people if I say, I don't care how you feel, amen? All of a sudden, I felt smaller than a, I could crawl under a rattlesnake belly, they say, amen. You know, go out of your ways to show. Think of, what did I just say? What did I just do? I need to change the way I talk. I need to change the way that I act so I don't hurt other people. Anybody else like that? Especially the brethren. That was a very embarrassing time. Folks, whether we like it or not, it's a command. It's just as important as a command to be ye holy. Just as important as uh, is the command, have no other gods before me. Loving the brethren is just as important as thou shalt not commit adultery. Love one another. Go to John. John chapter 13. Let's look at these two verses. Then our memory verse for this month, and maybe, I hope, for the rest of your life. John chapter uh, 13. John 13, 34. By the way, they forgave me. (laughs) I had to sit there and say, I had no idea. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Chapter 15. Chapter 15, one page over, verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. One more, chapter 15, verse 17. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Anybody had a parent who didn't command, didn't repeat themselves? My dad never repeated himself ever. Now, my mom did. <clears throat> but she made sure I knew she was repeating herself. <laughs> but you know, Jesus rarely repeat something. If you notice, you read your Bible. You see him repeating here? Evidently, it's one of the most important commands he ever gave. Would you agree? All right. It is a command. Now, the rest of these points are how to love one another. That's the only point of the message. Love one another. That's it. The number one command right now. There are plenty of commands. There's 46 commands that I've collected and I figured out that Jesus gave specifically to the believer. But here, that's the one that he keeps repeating. Let's talk about how to love one another. Well, the first thing we need to do is assemble together with one another. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, to the right. Stay with me now. We're going, now we're going to click our heels and move through, move through the passages. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the, what's the next words? All right, that's us, assembling of ourselves together, ourselves. I don't care whether, now, I'm, listen, I want to get unsaved in to hear the preaching of the gospel. I want to get them to see what Christians are like. I want them to consider 
every portion of Scripture they could hear. But you know what? The most important person ought to be in church this morning is you. Not forsaking, not abandoning, not putting anything more important than assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Some people have a habit of it. But what's the next word? You know what exhorting means? Encouraging, urging, keeping people going. I mean, if you've had a bad week, do not stay home on Sunday. Because you come to church, what's going to happen? You're going to get encouraged. You're going to get thoroughly exhorted, redirected, say, yeah, I can go on. I can at least go on one more day. Assemble. That is the first test of loving one another. Where we gather together, where we sit together. You know, it's a terrible church where everybody's got one chair between everybody. Stay on that side. Stay over there. Nope, nope, this chair's taken. <laughs> and nobody ever sits there. That's not what he's asking. He's saying, get close to one another. Sit together. Get along together. Work together. And love being together. A Bible-believing church is the original United Nations. Go to Colossians. You're in Hebrews. Go back to the left. Find Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11. Speaking of Christianity, he says this. Where there, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, it's neither bond, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. See, a Bible-leaving church is the original United Nations, filled with men and women, boys and girls, Irish and French, Nigerian and Texan, German and Peruvians, British and South Africans, Polish and Russians, and even some Filipinos. That's the United Nations, would you agree? And we all get along. That's a miracle. Hallelujah. Every Sunday, we gather together one purpose, that is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We drop, you know, somebody may aggravate you, but you know, you come into that door, you, you park in this parking lot, and you see somebody you're aggravated at, you've got to drop it. You've got to, amen? They took my parking spot. Up. Yeah! They always sit in my chair. They're always the first to get a tea, and I'm never able to get up there and get a hot cup of tea. Drop it. Amen. In the first century, the brethren met together every day. In homes across every city, Acts chapter 5. Go back to the left, find Acts chapter 5 and verse 42. Acts 5, 42. Daily in the temple. Daily. Acts 5, 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They, they, they couldn't be together enough. Sunday, to them, was a chance for family. It was family time to them, where every family got together as a big family. Ever since I, born, I was born again, ever since I got saved, I love being with other believers. I miss the long meetings. When I first got saved, when I was at Bible college, you know, honestly, we'd have a week of meetings every night, somebody preaching. I got called to preach because, not because God got through this thick head, but a preacher 
night after night, we actually went from Sunday to Sunday. There's eight nights, actually all day on Sunday and all day on the following Sunday. But every day, at least two men would preach. And so by Wednesday night, I had heard two, four, six, seven, eight, nine men preach on the need of the world for the gospel. And I went, I surrender. (laughs) I love that. If somebody had just said, the world needs Christ, and said, amen, let's sing and let's go home, it wouldn't have affected me. I needed to be in church time after time for me to finally go, people are lost. People haven't gotten the same chance that I've gotten to hear. Nobody's gone to tell them. And I'm sitting here on my Todd at, at 17 years old in a, in, in, a, in a wealthy country with all that I could ask for. And there are countless billions that never heard the name Jesus yet. So I signed up for duty and I've been going ever since. How'd that happen? Because I was in church day after day. I miss those meetings. I kind of wish we could have... I just wish we could have a week long of meetings just to do it because I know what happens when we keep coming under the preaching of the Bible. That's, that's assembling of ourselves together. That's, that's coming together saying, God, speak to me. And, and no matter how long it takes, get through to me. Assemble with other believers. A, um, a historian named Pliny the Younger describes Christian meetings when it was illegal to be a Christian in the first 300 years of Christianity. They they meet way before dawn in each other's homes, singing, reading whatever portion of Scripture they happened to own. And they encouraged each other to live for their living Lord all before sunrise. That's how they met and worshipped Jesus before it was legal to be a Christian. That was for 300 years. What keeps you away? Secondly, know each other. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Philippians chapter 2. What will keep you from being here tonight? What will keep you from being here on Wednesday night? What's going to keep you? I'll talk about more of it in just a few moments. You're not getting off the hook very easily. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19, to know each other, to love one another means I need to assemble with one another. I need to know each other. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2 verse 19, but I trust, this is Paul writing, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state, when I know how you're doing. You know what it means to know one another? It means to notice one another. Do you even know? Who's in this church? Do you know some of the people in this room are single and desperately? <laughs> so, some people have such problems at home, it would grieve you to know the tenth of it. Some people have health problems. Some people have endured divorce and abandonment by their spouse. Some have been looking for jobs for years and struggle just to stay encouraged. Do you notice? Do you just think we're all happy all day, every day? Do you think everybody's just fine, honky dory? So take time for each other. Take time to get to know each other. Listen to each other. Take time to listen. I mean, I it's kind of cute. It's rare. I'm going to use Paul for an example. Went over to Paul, how you doing? He says, not good at all. Now, how would you respond? Oh, that's nice, Paul. I got something else to do. <laughs> I do not want to know what you're going through. But 
Isn't that how we are? I'm fine. I asked somebody in our neighborhood. <clears throat> I said, how you doing? Great. I said, liar. No, I didn't. But anyway, <laughs> I knew they were lying. But you know what they probably thought? They don't really want to know. So somebody comes along and says, how you doing? I'm serious. Do you really want to know? Get to know. Take time for each other. Now, you don't always have the time. But take time. Get to know each other. I don't know if you noticed, but I put tea in the middle of church. You ever notice that? Anybody ever figured it out? We, have, we get together, and we sing, and we have uh, Eric tell bad jokes, and then we, we sing happy birthday, and then we have tea. Anybody know why we do that? Why does pastors right in the middle of church have tea? You know why? To force you to get to know one another. So that you're standing in line, and you go, who's this big, tall guy? I never knew what he did before. How long have you been coming to church? 17 years. Really? I didn't know that. What is your... The purpose of church is to love one another as we love the Lord. How are you going to love somebody you don't know? Amen? Take time to learn and listen to one another. You have a goal. Look at the goal we ought to have. <clears throat> Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Back to the right, 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3 in verse uh, 8. Finally, after everything is said and done. What is, what, what is it? What's the summary, Paul? What are, what are we supposed to do? Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren. There it is again. Be pitiful and show pity. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil to other believers or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing one another, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. Look at that. The goal of knowing one another is so that we have the same mind, so that I'm not unaware of where everybody else is at, so that we, have, we, we are part of a body instead of a club. To where we can have compassion to one another, where we love as a family, where we show pity toward each other, where we're courteous, where we don't render evil for evil, because a lot of the times hurt people do what? Hurt people, don't they? Sometimes when you're the recipient of being hurt, it's probably because why? They've been hurt. So you get to know one another. You know, you bless one another, and you know the truth is, when you love each other, there is such a blessing. God just pours out on the church when we just forget about ourselves and we try to be a blessing to love one another. It all happens when we just get to know one another. You don't have to know everything about me to actually start to care about me. I don't need to know everything about you to actually start to care about you, what you've been through, what's the struggles you're going through now. See, that's embarrassing. It's not our culture. Get with it because that's the Bible culture. To love one another requires that you get to know one another. Next worry about one another. I'm going to use the word worry so that it invokes emotion. Not that you panic about one another, but that you are thoroughly concerned. Hebrews, go back to the left, just a few pages, find Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 1, 2, and 3. Hebrews 13 says this, let brotherly love continue. Keep it going. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, people you never met. 
For thereby some have entertained angels, unaware who actually who actually sat down and ate dinner with some angels one day, not knowing they were angels. Abraham was one of them. He didn't know until later on that these are angels. He just treated them with kindness. He just treated them, I don't know you, but you you have the same heart as I do. Amen. Verse 3, remember them that are in bonds. What do bonds mean? Chains. But it can also mean bondage in any way. They could be in financial bondage. They could be in, in uh, uh, the bondage of depression, the bondage of satanic attack. Remember those who are in bonds as what? Say that with me. As bound with them. And them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body, as if to say in their body. Hey, think about what it's like in their shoes. We talk about Christians over in East Timor who've been slaughtered by the tens of thousands over the last 20 years. We, we, we read about sometimes, most of the time, they don't even talk about it anymore, but Christians who've been slaughtered by ISIS, Christian groups, Christian towns have been totally wiped off the map. Do you ever put your feet in their shoes and wonder what's it like? We talk about all the refugees coming from Syria. Refugees have been going on in that region for the last 150 years. The majority of them were Christian, and nobody gave a rip. Turkey won't even admit to the fact that back in 1895, five and a half million Christians were slaughtered by the Muslims. They won't even own up to the fact of it. Do you worry about what other Christians go through? Do you ever try to put your feet in their shoes and try to figure out what does it feel like? Do you ever sit and ponder and go, I wonder if they're hurting? Every mother worries about their children. I wonder if my kid has enough to eat today at school. I wonder if they're being bullied. That's natural for a mom. Well, Christians, we need to take time and worry about each other. And I mean in a good sense. I'm using that word to evoke emotion in you. Do you ask yourself, are there people in this room that have needs that I could be meeting? Is there anybody in this room that's so lonely they just want to go off and die? Is there anybody struggling with sin that I could encourage them where I have been in the same place that they've been in? Is there anybody missing from church that needs me to call them? Go to their house, check on them, send them a text. Most of us are so busy, we don't notice that people aren't here. Put your feet in other people's shoes. Try to, try to figure what their life is like. You won't like it. Take care of each other. Look at Acts chapter 4. Acts 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 34. Acts 4, 34 says this, 34 and 35, Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many of them, sorry, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses, what'd they do? They didn't have cash in their pockets, so they went and they sold property. They sold extra houses. They may have even sold their own houses. And they brought the prices of the things that were sold, and they laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. They took care of each other. I don't know when was the last time somebody sold something that they needed to take care of what you needed. That is an amazing friend. You know, go out of your way to give towards each other's needs. Wouldn't hurt. You know, uh, somebody going through something, 
Just give them what do they what do they call it? Just give them a you know a secret handshake. Put a twenty year old note in your pocket in your hand and just shake their hand. They look at you and go, What am I get doing? Oh, I can't take this and just walk away. Can fifty year olds, amen? What are you doing? Trying to meet a need. They're having a hard time. How'd you find out? I'm not telling. I just I just don't want to make a big deal out. I just want to be a blessing. Wouldn't it be wonderful if nobody in this church ever had a need because everybody in this church ministered and cared? They didn't have social welfare back then. Don't rely on the state to do what we should be doing. Don't rely on a government program for widows when we can take care of them. Amen. Take care of each other. Um, you know, uh, every one of us need to be carrying part of the load. How are the bills of this church going to be paid? If we all give, if we all say, you know what? I'm, I'm a member of this church. I belong to this church. I come to this church. I love this church. I'm not going to let just a few carry the burden. We're all going to meet the need. That's love. Am I the only one that worries about the people in this room is the question I want to ask. Am I the only one that sits down at night and I get overwhelmed when I start to pray for you? I can't pray for you all by name without actually being overwhelmed, thinking about what some of you have gone through or going through. Am I the only one that worries about you? Don't worry about anybody else but yourself. Is that your motto? You know, at least Job, I mean, he had three awful friends. But at least they got up and they came and they found out how Job was doing. And they sat down with Job. <laughs> then they pointed a finger at him. Found him. But at least they came. Amen. <laughs> Sometimes there are people in this room who hadn't had somebody visit them in years. And I'm just guilty as you are. Honor and prefer. Go to Romans chapter 12. Next book after Acts, go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. I'm just dealing with us in a practical ways of loving one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says this. Be kindly affectioned one to another with what kind of love? With brotherly love in honor preferring one another. What does that mean? Well, let me ask you a question. Why is it so hard to get some Christians out on Sunday evening and Wednesday evening? I told you I was going to come back at this. Why is it so hard to get people to come in on time? For Sunday morning, I'm raising my voice. Are you getting the, the, the stress levels now going up? Your heart's beginning to beat. He's talking about me. Yeah? Why is it so hard? Are you that way at work? You come in 10 minutes after work starts and still has to be paid? Do you get it that way for school? Yeah, I know you don't. Why is it so hard to get some Christians out Sunday evening or Wednesday evening? Hmm. Could it be that some of you prefer... The Simpsons? That are on tonight, you know that. Every hour on the hour, Sky Television, Simpsons on there. Maybe you like friends. Maybe that's where your only friends are, I don't know. Maybe you like Judge Judy. She's on tonight too, 7 o'clock. Yeah. Maybe it's football. Yeah. You know what Jesus says? He commands us to love one another. Many prefer their Xbox or their smartphone or their TV or maybe a select group of friends. Some prefer their family and their children, maybe their hobby. But as a Christian, I prefer you. 
and I prefer you on purpose. Not that I don't have hobbies, not that I don't have people that I interact with all over. But you know, I prefer listening to you. I prefer your ideas. I prefer just spending time with Christians. I really do. I mean, I wouldn't trade. I, some of us aren't worth shooting. You know that. Some of us, we, 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 we don't have much to offer this world, but I'd rather, I'd rather be with you than with independent. Really, I really do. Rather be with you than independent. Oh, come on. <laughs> and he's supposed to be this high and high, mighty, uppity, muckety muck. Prefer one another instead of that stupid idiot box. Amen. Amen. Pray for each other. James chapter 5. James. Hebrews, then James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. A lot of trouble in people's lives are because we got bitterness. We're not real. We don't know how to pray for one another. We don't care about anybody else, so we got lots of problems. Pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now listen, if you care about someone, you should naturally instantly pray for them about that worry. Hey, I told you to worry about people. If you do worry, pray. That's what you're supposed to do. Keep a prayer list with names and needs. Pray for people's spiritual protection. Do you know, when, when uh, years ago, uh, I grew up in the Vietnam era. And I watched <clears throat> a, lot of, a lot of people. My older brother was very much at risk of being drafted and being sent off to war. But he was too young. He, he wasn't drafted when, when the war finally was, was ended. But there were a lot of people, extended family, and there were a lot of people in my neighborhood that were called up and sent off to Vietnam. Now, I didn't understand it. I was a little kid watching on television every night. Later on, when I became a Christian, and I watched, how many of you remember Desert Storm back in 1990? All right. And uh, I found out about Christians who were going off to fight in, in, in Kuwait and all this stuff. You know what Christians started doing like they hadn't done in a long time? Praying for their young men going off to war. You know, when, when, when people leave here and they go into their cars and they go home, they're going back to war. When they head off to work or off to school, they're going into the lion's den, aren't they? How do you pray for people? Dear Lord, bless, bless Dermot. Dermot needs protection. Amen. Take people's names, take their needs, bring them before God, ask God to keep them encouraged, beg for God to keep them faithful, ask God to take care of their needs, beg God to, to, to supply the, uh, the needs of the family and take care of the family. Wouldn't that be amazing if we prayed for each other like that? You know, we need to start praying for each other as if it's your needs you're praying about. Put your feet in their shoes and say, you know, when I go off, and I don't know how hard it is for me, I better start praying for others like it's me that I'm praying for. Pray for one another. You know, the Bible doesn't say pray for somebody else that they would be healed. Can I be, I haven't even, I haven't even got time to just speak on this, but I'm just going to mention it. You got problems? You've got, you've got 
health problems, you got financial problems, you got people problems and marriage problems. You know what the Bible says? Pray for one another that ye, so that the person who's praying gets healed. Amen. A lot of our problems are, we're all worried about our problems. You know what? There's 500,000 other people who've got worse problems than you. And you want God to work with you? Show them. You're not thinking about you. You're thinking about others. God honors that. That's the Christian way. Minister to one another. Matthew chapter 20. Two scriptures, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Matthew 20, 25 says, But Jesus called them unto him, called his disciples unto him, and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. They that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Why? Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Hebrews chapter 6. The greatest greatest Christians in this room are those who seek to serve and to minister and to help each other. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. Hebrews 6.10 For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed towards his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints. That's the brethren. And you do minister. God notices when you do things for the brethren. Find out what needs to be done in this for this church to grow and thrive and then do it. I can't do it all. By the way, if you guys don't know, and I'll talk about it more next week, but if you don't know, I mean, Nita and I are taking Sarah to Bible College in, in, toward the end of August. We're going to disappear for a while. You know what that means? Some things aren't going to get done unless somebody else does it. Unless we all pull together and we carry the weight. You understand what I'm saying? Talk about this more next week, but honestly, start thinking and going, you know what? What needs to be done? Don't expect Craig to do it, because I'm not going to be here. (laughs) Use your time and your talents to go out soul winning on Saturdays. Use your time and your talents to help teach in children's church. We just got two new volunteers. I'm so excited. Use your time and and your talent to help Minister in 12 Weeks to Freedom on Friday nights. Use your time and your talents to help drive a bus and help pick up people. Maybe you can't drive the bus, but you can use your car. Use your time and your talent to come out to Bible clubs in a few weeks and help with Target the Heart this summer. Use your time and your talent to minister to one another and to reach this lost world we live in. Because, folks, I'm telling you, other churches are not preaching the gospel. Other religious organizations are more interested about feeding the poor than saving the poor. They need food, but they need the Lord. That's one of the big reasons why we focus on, on giving from time to time. And I tell you, you need to give. We, we have tithing. Why? So we can meet in a nice building like this. this is, there's not some wealthy benefactor that gives us money to pay for this place so we can be here for free. We pay for it, amen? 
And all the money that goes to pay for renting this place and renting the other place goes in that little green box in the back of the room. We own and operate that bus that carries people, and we store a ton of church things in there. It transports for youth camps and Bible clubs and men's camp. We had to buy it. You know where the money came from? Our green box. We pay staff. We pay for all the materials for Bible clubs and youth camps. We organize and run men's camps. We run an amazing children's church over there and and teens' church on Saturdays. How did all that get done? By us giving and giving regularly. That's what the tithe is. God designed something simple. He says, just do it. Every time you have income, 10% goes to the Lord. It doesn't go to me. It goes to take care of this place so so that we can be here. I mean, what if next week they said bye-bye? We'd have to pay some other place to go to. It costs money, amen? Unless everybody wants to go to Celine's house. If you've ever been to Celine's house, you don't want to go to Celine's house. Your walk-in bathroom's bigger than her house. You know, we give we give to minister to nine missionary families so they can minister in nine different countries. Is that cool? But we got to give so they can do Minister, serve. I, I don't know when was the last time you washed somebody's feet, but every time you do something, as humiliating as it may be, it is ministering. Jesus says, you want to be great? Serve. Hmm. So without money, I wanted to spend it. I wanted to go out and do this, do that. You want to be great? Minister. What could you start doing right away that would help carry the load? What could you do? Two last thoughts. One is lay down our lives for one another. This is probably the hardest one. First John, keep going almost to the very end. First John chapter 3 and verse 16. First John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. How do you tell it's real? Because he laid down his life for us. That's how I know he loved me. Amen? And we ought to lay down our lives. Here's our phrase again. What is it? For the brethren. I don't know when that time will come. But for the majority of history, Christians and Christianity, biblical Christianity, has been the focus of this world's entertainment. I only saw the Simpsons one time in my life. I've only seen him once. And the one time I saw, he has a neighbor who's a Christian. And the entire time, it was a mockery of Christianity. And I decided I'll never watch it again. I've never watched it again. The world is so comfortable with mocking, persecuting, and in the past, killing Christians with no guilt. They think it's great. The one people group you can mock and make fun of and be racist against and be, be uh, superior against and belittle and, 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 and stone and kill and, and fire and it's all fine is Christians. You ever notice that? It's been brave, selfless believers who risk their lives to protect other believers, especially women and children during times of intense persecution. I don't know if you read about a... a Two women who were sisters, they were called Corey and Betsy Ten Boom. 
Now, this is a great, they learned from Christ uh, about the Jews are God's special people. And during Nazi Germany, during Kristallnacht, during, in 1939, when, when in Holland, all the shops that were Jewish uh, or had any connection with, with Jews were raided and uh, uh, the Jews were rounded up and shipped off uh, to internment camps. At that time, they were called. And the, Corey and her family were clock watchmakers. Now, they weren't Jews. They were Christians, very devout Christians. And uh, they took in, I don't know how many Jews, and they hid them up in the attic, and they hid them in the, in the inside dressers. They took the drawers out, took the sides off, put human beings inside of the dresser, and then fixed those drawers of their bureau so that person could stay in there. All day long had to stay in there until the Nazis would pass by, check through the house and walk on, and they would open it up, give them water, and give them, give them some food to eat or whatever. They took care of them for years until they were caught. During the time when Corey and Betsy were sent off themselves to women's prison camp where the, the, the situation was so wicked, so vile, so filthy, and there they were for taking care of Jews, for loving people who could never love them back. There they were, and, 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 and Betsy gave up all of that horrible time. Corey didn't. Corey lived until just like three or four years ago. Told the story all over the world. And the point is this. They laid down their lives for people who never could love them back. Couldn't we do that for one another? I don't know when the time will come where I'll have to give my life for the likes of Leo or David or Graham. I don't know when that will ever happen where we our, our, we'd have to risk our lives, protect our children. I don't know when that time will come. But are you ready? Bible says, look what he says again. Read it again. First John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Romans chapter 16. Find Romans chapter 16. This was not just once off. It happened often throughout history. Here in the Bible, Paul honors a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, sorry, uh, uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Romans chapter 16, verse 3 and 4. Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own what? Unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Aquila and Priscilla risked everything so that Paul could keep going on the ministry. I don't know what all they did, but they laid down their necks on the chopping block. Do you love anybody enough like that? I bet you don't. That's with your children. We need to expand that. The greatest challenge is for us to look and go, I want my love for the brethren to grow to the point where in a heartbeat, I would protect another brother. In, in, in 1984, was it, or 85, President Reagan was coming out of a, uh, a speech he had made. When he came out, there was a man named John Hinckley who had a gun and shot right at the president. It went in and it deflected off of one of his internal bones and missed the heart 
But after that first shot, President Reagan had some uh, Secret Service agents who had been so trained and so they were so well prepared that when the shot rang out, this one man, I don't know his name, he turned towards the shooter. Now, you know what I would do? I would go down. I would run. But he turned toward the shooter, and he became as big as possible, and he took a shot. Why? Because to him, the president was worth more than his life. Next time somebody's attacking another Christian, take the blow. Next time somebody's making fun of Christianity at your work or in your house, stand up for Jesus Christ. Take the mockery. Instead of them, put it on Jesus Christ. Let them pour it on you. Amen. Amen. Somebody makes fun of Christians. I mean, I see some Christians I'm ashamed of, man. But the world starts making fun of them, I'll stand up for them. They're saved. They're washed in the blood. I'll see them in heaven. Where are you going when you die? Amen. Lay down our lives for the brethren. The challenge is to do it all faithfully. Look at 3 John. We are in 1 John. Go to what? It's the last place. Just before Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, chapter 1 and verse 5. You see, we get the idea. You ready, Leo? We get the idea, I got to do this on Sunday. It's hard enough to do it on Sunday. Do it faithfully. Do it every day. 3rd John, chapter 1, verse 5. Beloved, thou doest faithfully, watch the words, whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. Wouldn't that be a good testimony that if you just were faithful just to love everybody, but especially the brethren. Now let's reflect for a moment. How do you treat other Christians? A little handshake. Just, just, you know they're there, but you don't even know their name. How do you treat other Christians? What do they think that you think about them? Do you ignore them? Do you judge them? Or do you love them? Do you care to actually start loving the brethren, not passively, with just words alone, but quite actively, assembling together, saying, you know what? This is I'm not going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Know each other. I mean, know each other. Worry about each other. Honor and prefer one another over other things. It's not that you can't do other things. It's not that you have to leave and abandon your job or leave and abandon your wife and all these stupid things that people think we're talking about. No, you don't have to live in a monastery. You just have to love the brethren and prefer them to your old buddies. You knew what it was like to prefer your drinking over your family. You knew what that was like. You knew how you went for that bottle You knew how your wife suffered and your kids suffered because you preferred the company down at the pub. Now you're saved? Why don't you start preferring God's company? You know, that might just help your family, especially if you bring them. Worry about each other, honor and prefer one another, pray for each other, minister to one another. Has anybody ever come into this room and ever felt like they got ministered to by you? Or do they ever just, just figure you don't even know they exist? Lay down our lives for one another and do it all faithfully. It ought to show. If you love somebody, it'll show. Would you agree? Here's the invitation. Start to love other believers like Jesus loved you. He went out of his way to show his love. He actually sent somebody 
Maybe with the gospel, hand you a gospel track. Maybe he got you in a situation where you started to look up to him. God loved you enough to be working on your life. Will you love somebody enough to just be a blessing and work in somebody else's life? Who in this room is going to choose to obey Christ's command to love a whole lot of unworthy, sinful, selfish, imperfect people called Christians? Will you do that? I have to admit, some of you aren't even in the family of God. You're not born again. You haven't been born from above. Yeah, you're living and breathing. You got born from your mom and your dad, but Jesus said you must be born again. It's called a new birth because it saves your soul from the wrath to come. It washes away all sin and forgives you of everything that would separate you from God. It makes you a child of God. Puts you into the family of God. Now, the family's not perfect. We are clean. We're different, man. We're peculiar. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, the family of God. No longer a stranger and foreigner. A part of the family of God. You are too, if you've been born again like Jesus said you had to be. If you're not saved, let him save you today. Can we stand and bow our heads and pray?